electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the countdown to big tech. Less than three hours now until Microsoft and Alphabet report their earnings. The stock's hanging on every word, so of course is your money. The investment committee debates what is likely to happen, how you should react on the other side of that. Joining me for the hour today, right here on set, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, and Stephanie Link. It's great to have everybody in front of me for the first time in gosh knows how long. We miss you too. Yep. Let's check the markets. Let's go to the wall. I'll show you what is uh, going on at this hour. Carl just said it. We're at the lows of the day, that Walmart wallop is uh, having an impact today. There's the Dow down more than 200. S&P's down about 50 points. There's the NASDAQ going into these reports after the bell. It's near 2% loss. So we're down going in. Josh Brown, let's just kick it with with Alphabet, uh, which you own. Ad spending slowdown, TikTok competition to YouTube. Got to watch that. What are you watching most? Yeah, look, Alphabet is down 7.5% just since Snap. Uh, had a disastrous report. So the market is very quickly pricing in uh, just this idea that things are tougher than than uh, they've been overall in ad spend. And the thing about Alphabet and Meta, and I said this yesterday, um, is that they have now gotten so big that there is no longer a secular growth story that works without a cyclical growth story for really the global advertising business. They're just too much of the market for them to skate while everyone else feels the pressure. So I think that's been reflected in in the multiples for these stocks. I don't think they're being priced the way that growth stocks historically have been priced. I think they're now seen more as a proxy for the overall macro. Um, And that's not as much fun as it used to be. However, um, in the case of Alphabet, it's not an expensive stock. It really hasn't been for a long time. Very reasonable multiple. Company has an incredible moat. Of course, there are competitors. But in the end, this is one of the names that always finds a way, always finds new levers to pull. So I'm long the stock. I've been long for years. No plans to do anything. I do think, though, there could be an outsized reaction to earnings this time. And I am girded for it. Okay. Uh, Jim Labenthal, you own it as well. I do. I actually see the risk more to the upside than the downside here. First off, to just echo what Josh said, it's actually a pretty forgiving multiple for the growth rate here. It's 20 times this year's earnings, 17 times next year's earnings. But the big reason that I think there's some asymmetry to the upside is I just think the response and sympathy to Snap was overdone. Um, I said this last week. Look, when, when we know we're in a growth slowdown, fine. Maybe it's worse than that. I don't think so. But the point being is that on the margins, the ones who are going to feel it are the smaller players. You're going to cut back advertising on Snap well before you cut back on Google. I think that's what you're seeing here. I don't think necessarily you're going to see the same impact on Google's advertising uh, as you did from Snap. So I'm I'm modestly positive here. What if, okay, modestly positive, right, because, I mean, you could still have a slowdown, maybe just not as dramatic as you have. YouTube is not not Snap. Like, let's be be very clear. Uh, There is a lot of defensibility when you talk about the power, the reach of YouTube. It's bigger than all the streamers. 
and uh, it has really nothing to do with Snap in terms of how it's serving ads, who it's showing ads to. So we should not think um, necessarily that Snap struggling is a one-to-one corollary to what we're going to see out of Alphabet, but I still think the advertising market overall is softening, and there's no way Google can, can completely... Uh, skate through but that. But YouTube Shorts has 1.5 billion monthly active users, right? Yeah. YouTube in general has 2 billion in monthly active users. Snap pales in comparison. Yeah. By the way, I don't own Alphabet, but I think that their business will be will hold up better than most people what think. Would it take, what would it take for you to buy it? You know, what would I you mean, have to hear? 17 times is not that compelling for, to me. So let's just let the dust settle. Let's see where digital advertising kind of plays itself out, mm-hmm. right? And then we go from there. But I do, and I, I do own Meta, and I am suffering with Meta. But that, to me, the valuation is so much more compelling. It isn't the story much. Okay, you get a cheaper valuation, but Tougher the story's story. harder to make work, well, isn't okay. it? Well, okay, this stock is down. Google's down 26%. Meta, 51%. So I think there's a lot more bad news in Meta. And I think they have easier comparisons in the second half of the year. But do you think that this week they disappoint again? Meta. Uh, Well, I think people are expecting it, down 51% on the year. um, And I wouldn't be surprised. But, I mean, they are doing a lot of things, especially on reels. And if they can make any traction on reels, then I think that that people will forgive if they lower numbers because they really just want to see that they have another growth engine uh, and they can combat TikTok, right? Because TikTok is eating but everyone's what if lunch. Reels, what if Reels works, but it's because they cannibalize what was already working very well with regular Instagram timelines? I is think, that really a win? I think it's a win. It's an extension, right? And then you also have Facebook. You also have Oculus. You also have WhatsApp. So you have a lot of growth drivers. And it's diversification, right? So they are diversifying their business mix. So you know, as I'm frankly a little bit surprised that I read out the numbers for the multiples that I did, 20 and 17 times next year's earnings. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, how much cheaper? I'm not asking you, Steph. I'm asking at large. How much cheaper does it need to get? Like, are we talking IBM, oh, which is 13, 14 times earnings? Because the reason I'm thinking it doesn't get that cheap, doesn't have hardware the same way IBM, doesn't have a balance sheet, you know, the indebted balance sheet. But how many? How, how fast can they grow their monthly active users from here? It's such a large base, right? So it's slowing down. It's reasonable, reasonable, but I think this multiple is reflective of the fact that it's, you know, much more cash rich than something that's more mature like an IBM. Oh, gosh, they're total apples and oranges, IBM and Alphabet, right? The only reason I'm bringing it up is because I'm saying, like, how much cheaper can it or should it get? Of course, it can go down lower. I just don't think you it needs to get much cheaper. Tell me what you think search cheaper. can grow. I mean, it's, it's grow, search is going to grow 13% this quarter, but that's down from like the 20s for a, a long period of time. Yeah. So what do you pay for that? High teens multiple? I mean, I'm going to look up the peg ratio. Maybe. Well, it's going to take me a second so you can talk, but I think the peg ratio, I'm going to guess, is probably 1.5. I mean, anybody want to look it up thing, while I'm... The thing, that Meta, the thing that Meta has working against it that Alphabet doesn't, and maybe this is priced in given the relative declines between the two, TikTok is really eating Meta's lunch in a way that is not happening at uh, YouTube. It's not really happening. We it don't could. think. We don't, we don't know to the degree it could. in which it might it could, be. But that's one thing to listen to for tonight. Is, I don't think the two things are being rates. used. But I don't, I don't think when you look at the user base and when you look at the way these services are used, it is clear that less eyeballs on Instagram is almost solely because of more eyeballs on TikTok. Mm. I really don't think that YouTube factors in the same way. And, you know, the other thing to consider is Alphabet is still in a place where it could make acquisitions. It ha- you know, it has, 
it has levers to pull financially. They're, spe- they're making huge investments uh, in places where they could easily cut back if they need to. But they're still slowing, hire- slowing hiring. Well, they all right? are. Yeah. I know they all okay. are. I know they are. But if they were in such a great position and business was so great, why would they slow hiring? Yeah. Well, ho- hope- hopefully it's only because they see the ad market softening, not collapsing. Right, so let- right. let's, let's steer things towards Microsoft now, okay? Um, because when you guys are talking about valuations and what's too expensive and what isn't, mm-hmm. this is a stock trading at 26 times-ish, right? 26, 27. Um, I'm wondering how you view something like that, uh, Jim. You, you own Microsoft. Yeah. Um, do you have a problem with that? Valuation for somebody who scrutinizes multiples as closely as anybody I know? So the answer is, I do have a problem with it, Scott. And the reason that I reflect it or how I reflect that is the fact that, first off, as a portfolio manager, you've got to make a decision. The weighting in the S&P 500, as Stephanie may know, it's either 55 or 6%. I mean, it's huge, right? It's the second largest company in the S&P 500. So if you don't want to own it at all, you're taking one heck of a benchmark risk. And I am a portfolio manager who's benchmarked. My weighting in Microsoft, Scott, is one half of, of the weighting in the benchmark. It's my way of saying, okay, I'm going to be there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and some people would say, okay, well, you're actually shorted. I don't really agree with that. But my point being is I'm about, you know, two and a half, two and three quarters percent uh, weighted in it. I think the best you're going to get from Microsoft going forward the next couple of years is the earnings per share growth, which is around eight to 10 percent, depending on whose estimates you're going to use. You're certainly not going to get multiple expansion. And to the point, I think you're implying, Scott, yeah, the multiple doesn't doesn't make me happy. Well, it doesn't make Dan Niles happy either. Listen to what he said. We'll kick it on the other side. You look at a Microsoft, it's trading at a 26 PE. The S&P is at 17 times. Growth on the internet for consumption is slowing down, and that should concern you when you've got multiples this high. We're short Microsoft. All right, so they're short. You're not in it, uh, Steph, but cloud growth guidance, important tonight. Is there an enterprise spending slowdown, currency headwinds, PC weakness, not to mention the valuation? There feels like there's a lot to scrutinize potentially here in what has been, for the most part, a darling stock. Absolutely. And at 27 times, it's not cheap at all. I have never owned Microsoft. And you know what? That wasn't the right call. But in the downdraft, I'm looking to maybe get in constructive. But again, it's just too expensive. And it's enterprise demand and cloud growth versus PC weakness. You, you hit it. So what's what, what's going to prevail? Right. And then, of course, currency, because they were the first company first to come ones. out about to talk about currency. So how bad is it? It's bad because guess what? We've heard from a number of other companies since then, and it is not good. Is it reflected then in the stock, Josh? Are all of these issues re- no. reflected in the stock for it's down 25% year to date? No. You know me. I'm, I'm, I'm negative on, on the group, and uh, I do own Amazon. I have, I have some exposure there. But, like, I just feel in general these stocks are all in a technical downtrend. You've got earnings compre- uh, uh, multiple compression at the same time that earnings growth has never been more at risk. And it has nothing to do with the quality of these companies or the execution or the strategy. Throw that out the window. The environment is impossible. So if you're a long-term investor, you say, okay, I get that. I can live through a bad year for Microsoft. And that probably is not the worst idea. However, in the short term, if you're not long the stock, give me a reason to get long the stock. And I want you to think about, reflect a little bit um, on how asymmetric this earnings season is. I can't think of any companies that have had a good report where you say, oh, man, I wish I was in it. At best, it's like a 3 or 4% one-day rally. 
You know what happens when they disappoint? Yeah, I wish I was out of it. Negative 30. What is the bet here? So, look, I I mix technicals with fundamentals all the time when I talk on the show. Both are are out out. Both of those things are working against you right now. It's not, it's not a lot of fun to be specifically getting long stocks into the earnings, given that asymmetricality. It'll end, maybe not this quarter, but next quarter or the quarter after. At some point, that will stop being the headwind that it is. But let's not be in denial about what's happening here. Yeah, I don't think we are. If you look at the move that Apple, for example, has made from the mid-June low, it, if you just look at that, you're it makes risk- you think that all of those stocks have had such a huge bounce off there, and they have not. You're risk- you're Microsoft's only up 5% since June 14th, when a lot of the other stocks in that universe have gone up a lot more. I was just, look, this week is, we, you know, we build it up. It's, the mo- it's a huge week. It's a very important week. I always make fun of that stuff. But no, I actually think that this is a make or break week. 20% of the S&P 500's market cap is reporting this week. Facebook, Google, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, 14%. And these stocks matter, even if you're talking about companies that have nothing to do with tech or enterprise spend or any of these things. The multiples may contract, even if the fundamentals have nothing to do with it. If we don't like the direction of the guidance that we get from these very incredible management teams at these amazing companies. So, so, you know, on July 6th, uh, your colleague in the investment committee, Shannon Sakosha, trimmed Microsoft. She joins us now uh, to tell us what she's looking for going into the numbers. So you've already taken it underway, right? It's a big position. It's a huge position in your portfolio, but you did take some chips off the table. Uh, What's the scenario you most fear this evening? Well, I think uh, a number of people have already talked about this. And so I'm concerned about the potential for guidance to be much lighter than expected in the back half of the year. Um, we, we know we're going to see the currency overhang. We know that there's going to potentially be some some strain on hard, hardware. Um, but with the, the software portfolio that Microsoft has, um, Azure is the driver here. And, I, you know, we continue to hold this position at a high, you know, a high weighting, even though it is underweight to the benchmark, because we believe that longer term, that this move to digital and move to the cloud, that Microsoft is well positioned for that. But I'm very concerned about the guidance. We, you know, we're not seeing evidence of meaningful declines in enterprise spend, but we could see that. Um, and Microsoft is going to be the first to note it if they're concerned about that in the back half of the year as well. Yeah. If the stock does have a pullback, would you add to it just like you trimmed before? Would you, would you take that opportunity or are you sort of where you want to be? for a while in this stock. Yeah, so this is a significant overweight for us, Scott, for several years. Um, and we have been frequently trimming it actually over the last 18 months or so um, because we feel that, you know, from a multiple expansion perspective, Josh and, and Jim already spoke to this, there isn't a lot of opportunity here. Um, Microsoft affords is afforded its premium because of the execution and the depth and breadth of their offering. Um, but in this environment where there are all of these potential headwinds in terms of demand, you know, that that premium looks, you know, maybe not warranted in this environment. So I think we're comfortable with our positioning. I mean, if it was a huge miss, 
perhaps, you know, we would, you know, to, to Steph's point, we might consider adding to it, to it. But this has been something that we've been bringing down from a position perspective. We did really well in the stock for a long time. Um, I wouldn't have my portfolio, but, you know, we're, we're certainly concerned about some of the potential headwinds that they might speak to in this call today. Yeah, well said. Shannon, thank you for jumping on with us real quick. That's Shannon Sakosha. Again, she'll be watching with all of you in overtime when those results come out. Wrap it up, uh, Jim. I just feel like this is the one if you want to single out that has the most potential issues with the macro environment, right? Wonder about consumers, PCs weak, a currency's got the headwind, enterprise spend, and then the, oh yeah, on top of it, it's already deemed by most of you to be expensive going in. I think the last thing you said sort of is the most important, right? This multiple just stands out like a sore thumb. And of course, as I'm saying this, I'm asking myself, well, then why do you own it at all? Okay. And Josh, you kind of asked this, why would you buy it? Right. And the answer is, you know, when flows come back to the markets and in size, this thing is all over the ETFs. I don't care whether it's, you know, 6% in the spiders, 11% in the triple Qs, it's all over the place. So you got to really make a decision that, you know, you really want to be in essence, out of the stock and out of the flows that will come to it when when enthusiasm comes back to the market. But I am massively underweighted because of that multiple. So you got the wallop I said at the top of the show, Steph, right from from Walmart. Um, that's an overhang on the market in general, but it has people wondering what's going to happen now. What does it mean, if anything, for Amazon? There's yeah. some negative notes uh, out today uh, regarding what Walmart said and what the read through is. B of A, for example, says that news implies, quote, additional gross margin pressure for Amazon driven by consumers trading down. Their most recent uh, Bank of America aggregated card data report showed an online spending for the lowest income cohort of consumers was down 6% year on year in the second quarter of 22. Do you all of a sudden have to say, okay, what is now the read? Am I, should I be worried about Amazon for, by the way, a stock that's done squat? Yeah. Uh, over this, you know, current period of time, yeah, year to date's down 30 percent. So it's it's not only under, underperformed the S&P by a large margin, it's underperformed its its uh, mega cap tech cohorts. But talk about an expensive stock. It's at 68 times earnings. And I know people do some yeah. of the parts because I've, right? I've done that, too. I've done the some of the parts justified to own the stock. And I have owned the stock in the past. But no, they're going to they're, they're going to feel pressure. But I have to just underscore that Walmart, Target and others, they just got caught off guard. They got caught off guard from the goods to services transition, from the apparel to the food transition. And so these companies have a mix issue, right? They have a markdown issue. They have an inventory issue. I kind of think Amazon's a little bit different. The, the problem that I think Amazon has is they had some DC closures. They overhired. They spent $6 billion in the first quarter incrementally on costs. We have no idea where that went. And so and you have a new leader. So there's so many question marks. I think cloud is going to be perfectly fine for Amazon. But in terms of the consumer, yeah, there's some pressure points. But I want to make sure everyone knows. I think that this is a Walmart issue and a Target issue, and they missed the boat. Because if you look at some of the other consumer companies that reported in the last week, week and a half, well, you got Coke this morning, right? And that was good. They raised guidance. General Mills, Pepsi, I knew, uh, gonna, I knew you were going to say Pepsi again. I had to say Pepsi, right? Because <laughs> eventually I'm going to own it. Right. Um, anyway, no, but I mean, even McDonald's, a 9.7% comp. But so does, I'm not to saying, be bullish so, on Amazon, you have to believe. You have to believe that the cloud is, the, the strength of the cloud is going to offset any cloud, weakness the, anywhere else. The value of the cloud at this point is like half the market cap. So that's, that's already helping Amazon. That's why it has the multiple it has, by the way. Not because of Amazon. Justified at large part because of the expected growth of the cloud. To be, look, to, I, I own some Amazon. To get very bullish ahead of this week's earnings report, you have to have the belief 
that their customer, their average, their, their median consumer is radically different from the median consumer at Target and Walmart. And listen to me, I don't believe it. Well, I have, look, no, look wait, not at all. I'm looking at the worst performing group in the market right now is consumer discretionary uh, today. Uh, these stocks have just been absolutely hammered. We keep hearing executives at Goldman Sachs and at American Express this week tell us there's no sign in the data that there's a recession. It's just something people are worried about, but there's no sign in spending. Yes, there is. The sign is in what people are trading off in order to spend the money they need to live. So when you hear Walmart say apparel got hard hit because groceries cost more, that is a sign. Now, here's what's funny. But there's also wait, 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 a shift from, finish. Go- from goods to services. We all and get that's that. why American Express posted an 84% T&E number we all, in their We quarter. all understand that. So now that's just important to those to mention. But it's, so it's travel and restaurants yes, it's as opposed to, okay, fine. We all get that. That will run its course, as we've seen of every we'll pandemic trend. They, they have all hard reversed. Everybody wanted to take a trip this summer. We'll Congratulations. See. Hope you enjoyed the airport. Okay. That will run its course. And now what you're left with is the consumer being forced to do two things. Number one, go out further on credit cards than they had to have in the last two years. And I'm sure people are saying that's bullish. I don't. But number two, make trade-offs. And these trade-offs, no matter what you think, are not going to be great for consumer discretionary companies because the trade-offs are like survival. And I, I'm on, look, I'm on the show talking about things like um, auto loan blow-ups and people not paying their AT&T bill. Like, I'm the person telling you about this week after week, and the trends aren't improving. The high end is fine right so now. So far, right, but the we, high heard, end we is. heard subprime doesn't relate to uh, um, jumbo mortgages also well, for a long time. So uh, it's, it's fine until it's not. It's, it is. That's true. But By the, the way, Adidas just cut its uh, full-year outlook. Now, they, they blame this literally right. happened. Is that the low end? That's happening, not Kmart. Happening as we're on the air here. Mm. Um, a lot of it's due to China. Uh, weakness there, but they do cite potential slowdowns in other markets as well. So uh, that's a, from Adidas just moments ago, cutting their outlook uh, for their full people year. People are buying food, not Yeezys. StockX, StockX average sneaker price. This is a look. This is a, a, a microcosm of the overall consumer situation. The average shoe price on the StockX site is down 30 percent every month since February has been consecutively lower. This is like another pandemic trend that's reversing. Why is that the case? Because the buyers aren't showing up. And you could look across the entire spectrum, the used Rolex market, baseball cards, NFT nonsense. It's one thing after another after another. And sooner or later, it goes from being the play money to the actual things that people need to do in order to just make it through the month. And I think that that is what's starting to be reflected at Walmart and Target. And you're going to see it elsewhere. It's it's inevitable. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about some moves that the committee is making. We'll also welcome in our halftime headliner. We'll have more on today's market action with Merrill and Bank of America Private Bank. Chris Heisey, next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. 
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Let's give you a check on the markets now and bring in our, our market headliner today. Uh, he is Chris Heisey. He's the chief investment officer at Merrill and Bank of America Private Bank. He joins us now. It's good to see you again. So is everything really riding on what happens over the next three days? No, I don't think so. I, th- I think for the next few weeks it might, but uh, not for where we're about to be and, and head towards uh, for 2023, Scott. And, you know, thanks for having me. But I would say this week is a big week. It's not only earnings, it's the Fed obviously. And then you get two um, really important inflation gauges on Thursday, you know, the employment cost index and the core PCE. So when you put it all together, I think there's way too much focus on whether or not we're in recession or about to go in one. There's way too much focus on are we at the bottom or 5% away from the bottom. I know it's easy to do that. And I know that's what everyone wants to talk about. But does it really matter if you are thinking past and getting out on the other side? Um, when things will look a lot better once we get through the pain of earnings guidance going lower? Why, why, will, they, why will they look better? Um, maybe the market's too quick to look to the other side. I, I'm just thinking of the market already pricing in rate cuts for, for next year. Are we getting a little ahead of ourselves on, on what the real issues at hand are? And may we be reminded of those after the bell today, after the bell tomorrow? after the bell on Thursday, and then with all of the economic data points that come out this week? Yeah, that's true. I think we're going to get a lot of reminders. The bond market gives us the big one. Uh, It's almost inverted across the curve and almost inverted three months to 18 months forward, which is Chair Powell's, uh, one one of his favorite gauges. So we're going to get a lot of reminders. But for the investor on the other side, and not waiting for the Fed to cut, but actually waiting for earnings to stabilize and then climb that wall of worry again, once, in, once inflation comes back down, and here's the key, Scott, the dollar weakens once the Fed pauses. And when you get that, that's a big tailwind for the multinationals. It's a big tailwind for the S&P 500. And ultimately, you start to recover from there. So we're already building plans. We're neutral across the board. We're on guard, just like a lot of other people. But we're already building plans and saying, if you have at least a year, not two, three, four years, but if you have at least a year time frame, you can get through the earnings pain, get through a Fed pause, and start to climb the wall of worry. Again. This is kind of my point, though. We're, we're talking about when the Fed pauses, when the Fed just got started. Walmart gives you a perfect reminder of why the, the Fed is emboldened to do what it needs to do, doesn't it? Well, the Fed has definitely told us multiple times they want to break the back of inflation, and that's what they're going to do. And they're not going to stop until they see reasonable evidence that we're well below, let's say, 4% on their key gauges. So we've got some time yet before they so-called pause. And we don't want to get ahead of that, like you said. 
but they are moving aggressively now. You know, 75 basis points at a clip. We don't expect that every meeting, but certainly they'll get to that so-called terminal rate pretty quick. And by the end of the year, we're going to talk more about uh, for real when the Fed pauses versus, hey, we think they're going to pause uh, just because the bond market and Fed funds future says they're going to cut next year. Hey, Chris, it's Josh Brown. Does the lack of a V-shaped bottom in this particular pullback versus almost every other pullback we've had over the last 12 years tell you that something has materially changed? Uh, probably the, the right culprit to point to is the lack of a Fed put. Um, and if so, does that change your mind about whether or not this is going to be short and shallow? Absolutely the right question, and absolutely things are different. Um, the Fed put um, is more than likely going to be less and more than likely going to be longer in terms of when it happens. The V-shaped rebounds that we've all experienced, largely because of liquidity coming in, um, but also because the big downdraft in the economy was so deep, you had to kind of mirror that with the upswing. So if we have a short, shallow recession, uh, you're going to have a short, shallow recovery as it relates to where you get to. So from that standpoint, what does it change? I think it, you have to start thinking total return across a portfolio. 60-40 is not dead. It's just adjusted. Uh, you're going to have yields in, in, in the bond market that are a little bit more attractive than what we've seen. So you can't expect appreciation in bonds. You get the yield there. And then in stocks, you're looking a little bit less valuation upswing, a little bit more dividends. And, and, and a little bit less capital appreciation. But all things considered, your 60-40 portfolio. Where do you want to take your risk in the 40? Do you want to take it on duration or do you want to take it on credit quality? Uh, I think you could do a little bit of both. I think you can extend some duration. We've had some move down uh, in yields. We're going to have some moves back up, in our opinion. Once it comes back up again, I think you can extend some of that duration. But credit quality next year will will be where you're going to get a little bit more of your pickup. High yield right now is on the watch list. Yeah. L- lastly, before I let you go, are the lows in or not in the equity market? Well, one of the lows is in in June for sure. And we usually have multiple lows. And um, we try to figure out a 5% up or down swing around the lows. And we think we're there. So if you're investing for the next couple of years, there's two or three more opportunities between now and when the Fed says we're done, or at least we're pausing, uh, to come back in and uh, – up your targets on your equities for the long haul. That was a creative way of not wanting to be pinned down answering that question mm-hmm. of whether you think the lows in, in mid-June are in. Well, uh, you know, creativity is, is what investors do. But at the end of the day, Scott, um, whether or not you can call a low or not, you know, I'm not smart enough to be able to call it lows. We're going to rely on our analysis. And our analysis says we still have some further move to go as it relates to earnings guidance. And once that stabilizes, then you could say the actual lows we're in. So uh, we're going to have a lot of gyrations from between now and then. Enjoy the rallies and don't get spooked too much by the sell-offs. All right, we'll make that the last word. Chris, I appreciate your time, as always. That's Chris Heisey joining us today. Let's get the headlines now with Kate Rooney. Hi, Kate. Scott, here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Russia announcing... It will withdraw from the International Space Station after 2024, signaling the end of a joint project that has served as a key symbol of post-Cold War cooperation with Washington. The move comes as Moscow and the West clash over the war in Ukraine and it casts new doubt over the future of global collaboration in space. The head of Russia's space agency says Russia will focus on building its own space station. St. Louis, Missouri, experiencing historic rainfall after a storm dumped more than eight inches of rain, leading to widespread flash flooding that left motorists stranded and residents 
fleeing their homes. By early this morning, the city had seen more than eight inches of rain, surpassing the previous record of nearly seven inches back in August 1915. And the Choco Taco, the taco-shaped ice cream snack made by Klondike, is being discontinued after nearly 40 years. No. <laughs> Say it and so. The company is being <laughs> says it's being sacrificed, so it has capacity to meet strong demand for its other products. But guys, Klondike says it's working hard to find a way to bring the Choco Taco back to ice cream uh, trucks in the coming years. Strong reaction there from Scott Brown. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Yeah. You may, they're, they're well, just, kudos kudos whoa, whoa. to you for making it. You were chubby, that. though, as a kid, right? Uh, we talked about this. Well, wasn't everybody? <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't grown out of it yet, but uh, you definitely have taken a chocolate taco to the dome no at, one, question. at one point. Okay. I still would now. Okay. All, right. All right. Kate, thank you. All right, coming up. It's our call of the day. Goldman Sachs double downgrading this beaten down media stock and calling for 20% more downside. There's ownership on the desk. We'll debate it next. You never have the spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Paramount double downgraded to sell at Goldman today. The firm saying macro headwinds are likely to intensify. One of many recent sell calls on that stock. Jim Labenthal, here we are again. We are back talking to you about Paramount. First, it was Moffat Nathanson, downgrade to underperform. Then it was Morgan Stanley, this is a downgrade long list. to you underperform. You're going to go through the whole thing? I am. Uh, Wolf, <laughs> underperform, assumed. Initiated, sell, Rosenblatt. Bro, I mean, I understand being a contrarian, but. Nah, well, now it's Goldman says, get out of this thing at all costs. What do you watch on this? What are the big shows on uh, Paramount? Is this uh, Yellowstone? Hey, hang on. I'm going to come okay. right back to you, if you, <laughs> right. if you don't mind. It's one at a time, okay? Right. Um, so it's been a month of, like, the downgrade deluge. I, I will admit that. Stock's actually hung in there, Scott, all right? There, you know, it's in this 24 to 26 range. It's not really responding all that, all that much to this double downgrade. Um, well, and also, hasn't by the way, it already moved 
from the other downgrades? Yeah, it was 45 two weeks ago, uh, six months ago. Everybody, you want to take a deep cleansing breath here? I, I've got what I mean. We're just okay. pointing out the facts. Yeah. Okay, year to date, it's in line with the S&P 500. I'm not even, yeah, don't give me that little parsed lip look. It is. Okay, year it to is. Date. Down 19%. Yeah, and add the dividend uh, right. difference back to it. It's right in line with the S&P 500. And I'm not okay. even to compare it to Netflix because it's not fair. Netflix has gone, you know, over a few waterfalls here. But the point that the analyst makes is basically he thinks in the short term there's going to be an advertising shortfall. He says maybe, he's kind of lukewarm about this, maybe they'll hit their streaming targets. You know, they've hit their streaming targets and exceeded them in each of the last several quarters. I mean, the operational outperformance from this company is right there in front of your face. So the reason that I think the stock is hanging in there, he points out the premium multiple to its its competitors, is that frankly, the stock is delivering. Now, if you want to be a short-term trader and say the advertising market is going to go down in the next quarter or two, by all means, get out of the stock at 11 times earnings, you know, 70% of book value and a 3.8% dividend yield with a industry-leading growth rate and streaming subscribers. If you want to be an investor, you look at this, and you're not worried about what Goldman Sachs is doing today. If you're a long-term investor, you see the value here, and you just stick with it. And so you don't care. If you're a long-term investor, you don't care about Moffat, Nathanson, Morgan Stanley, Wolf, Rosenblatt, or Goldman Sachs? Feels a little bit like piling on. I mean, there's a reason why the stock hasn't moved from this 20. Oh, piling to on by them. Yeah. Oh, I thought, you were, you. I thought you were accusing oh, me of piling on. on. You, you <laughs> pile on me as easily as you breathe. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. I'm Come fine. On, laugh with me a little bit. I'm laughing. Jim, okay. don't you worry about the competition though in the space and the cost for content? I love how this. How do you get through? How do you get through all of that? Because. Two answers. One, they're beating the competition. Just flat out, the numbers are there. They're beating the competition. And the reason they're beating the competition is because of the content. Now, you asked, and some of the things you're probably going to laugh at, I don't know how you feel about Yellowstone, Josh, or how you feel about... No, I'm trying to figure out what's on this. I know it's CBS. I know they have a ton of movies in the library. It reminds me of Lionsgate. And that stock's much, been a loser much, for a decade. Much, so. much, much better. I okay. mean, look, and, you know, look, look at Top Gun that came out, Top Gun Maverick. I don't Way care movie. what you think. Yeah, you, I mean, you and I, we both saw it that first weekend. That's that right, Maverick. feeds into, you know, the people who didn't see it in the theater, then they get to see it on Paramount+. Plus. And that's one of five top ten or uh, box office number one hits mm-hmm. this year from Paramount. Right. They're actually killing it on their content. So I Steph, think this is an acquisition just, target, just real, so real quick, I, I wouldn't short real it. quick, Steph. It's a content killer, and it shows up in the operational expertise. To what you're saying, Josh, yeah, if Apple wanted to make a prompt jump in their Apple TV, they could snap this up without even blinking. Right, yeah. let, let me do this. Let me spin it forward to another call today that I wanted to get Steph's opinion on. It's Piper Sandler. They launched coverage on athletic and footwear, and I want to hit Nike, especially because of what I told all of you about Adidas a little while ago. They assume with a neutral rating on Nike, which you own, that's what I want to ask you about, yeah. $115 price target. But now that you had Adidas just come out during our program and cut their full year outlook, now do we need to think, okay, what's it mean for Nike? Well, they've already lowered their numbers when they reported earnings a couple of weeks ago. Maybe not enough. Well, they pretty much, I think they are, they're really low, and, and they're not even thinking about any kind of margin, even staying flat. They're actually declining m- margins as well. So we know China, we know inflation, we know supply chains. The stock's down 36%. This is the top company in the space, trading at the low end of its historical range. And I just think that this is something that not next, maybe not next quarter or the t- quarter thereafter, but in the next year or two, I'll be really glad that I got it at these levels. Okay. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Again, we'll come back. We have two big trades in the energy space today. Jim Cramer's Charitable Trust is taking profits in one energy stock. And Josh Brown, right here on the desk today, has added a new one to his portfolio. We're going to reveal that and debate it in two minutes. 
All right, welcome back. Let's talk some energy. We're showing you Devon here, which is down about three and three quarters percent after Jim Cramer's charitable trust announced they're selling 200 shares of Devon, booking profits, quote, so we do not make the unforgivable mistake of turning gains into losses. That got me thinking, like, what other energy names that do you guys own that maybe it's time to do the same? Diamondback, Oxy, Schlumberger, Steph, what do we think about these? I mean, most of these stocks in this universe are up so much. Yeah. That should you be asking yourself the same question that Jim obviously asked himself and came to that conclusion, time to sell a little bit. Absolutely. But these stocks are down about 20 to 30 percent from their highs. And that's one of the reasons why I bought Oxy, because it was down 20 percent from its high. And I still believe very strongly in the energy uh, investment. I am double my bench uh, in terms of the weighting. Uh, so it's almost 10 percent of my portfolio is energy. And that's because I think structurally the industry has changed. The strategy has changed from these big companies to provide more shareholder value uh, friendly actions like buybacks, dividends, special dividends and that sort of thing, in addition to CapEx improvements as well. So I own Chevron. I love that one. I like the yield. It's big quality. Schlumberger, that was a thing of beauty on Friday when they reported. Uh, and, I, and I would add to that if it, was, if it were to pull back further. Um, and I like Diamondback, too. Again, special dividend after special dividend. And Oxy, we talk about Warren Buffett, his investment in the company. And I think something fun is going to come out of this that is. One. Sorry, Steph. Um, it's such an interesting conversation to have, I think, Jim. Um, you're in a bunch of these names, too, Kinder and Transocean, um, ExxonMobil. So Steph points out, yes, that these stocks are considerably off their 52-week highs. They're up so much year to date, but many of them are considerably off their 52-week high. Mm -hmm. Like, raises the issue, should I be selling, taking some profits, or should I be buying more, taking advantage of the fact that they're down, thinking that the environment's still going to be good. And you know, just last week, I, I uh, initiated a position in ExxonMobil, so my actions speak for me, but mm -hmm. just to be a little bit more, you know, give you the fundamentals behind it, I, I just can't conceive of a scenario in which supply and demand come into balance. I, ju I just can't conceive of it. If somebody wants to educate me on that, that's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not uh, in the hyperactive camp of we're going to $200 a barrel on, on oil, but you certainly see what natural gas is doing here and abroad, mainly abroad. Uh, it's because there's a supply-demand imbalance that I just don't see any way of fixing. The commodity prices are going to be reflected eventually in the okay. earnings of these companies, so I think you're supposed to buy here. Okay. Uh, speaking of, you're supposed to buy here. Josh Brown did. The new name is? I bought some uh, Chenier Energy. Uh, it's a new position for me. I've never been in it before. Uh, the ticker is LNG. This is a technical breakout. I think I'm like doing something you're not supposed to do, which is anticipating the breakout. Um, but that level would be about 150. You can see that that has been resistance back to the end of March. Um, but I think if it breaks above, uh, the stock should be should be able to move higher. This is a company that went from selling 35 percent of its liquefied natural gas to Europe in 21 to selling about 70 percent this year. They are the largest uh, company able to take that liquefied natural gas and move it overseas. And that is a market that I think has demand for as far out as the eye can see. They tend to sign 10 and 20 year contracts with, with other countries and everybody needs natural gas. The United States is basically producing at $6 and in Europe it's selling for 40s and 50s. And as long as that spread continues, there's a lot of money to be made here. LNG is, I think, the company best positioned to make it. There are many who think that Nat Gas, after you know having a rip and then pulling back, is set up for a rip again. 
You could, see it could be. Today, it's up 4% again could, today. could be, but Chenier, but there are hedges involved. So I don't want anyone to think about this as a pure play on how much natural gas production happens here or the, the Henry Hub price or anything like that. This is purely about a supply-demand imbalance that's happening globally, is being exacerbated by the war and climate and a whole host of other issues. And Chenier is the company that helps fix that logjam getting the energy to where it actually needs to be consumed. And I think the business, uh, it's important to point out, this is a company that's already spent $30 billion on CapEx to build this stuff in Corpus Christi and, uh, and in Louisiana. It's very hard to replicate the assets they have. So um, I am long the name. I think a breakout could be coming. Okay. Straight ahead, some trades on some big earnings movers today. There are several. But first, let's give you a check on the S&P sector. Heat map ahead, only hours ahead, really. Few of... Uh, Boy, those big earnings after the bell. It's healthcare utilities defensive leading when the S&P is declining by a little more than 1%. We're back right after this. Many companies reporting earnings this morning. We want to kick a few of them around. Led by General Motors, GM, EPS Miss, Revenue Beat, Farmer Jim, one of your faves. Yeah. Is it still... It is. It is. Look, it's down today because of the Walmart news and just the continuing fears of a recession. Perhaps perhaps a little bit of fuel added to the fire by Ms. Barra, the CEO's comments that uh, the company is preparing for, not anticipating, but preparing for uh, a recession. Still, um, the results were fine. We know that they're still having a chip problem. They're reaffirming their guidance, expecting to get those chips and deliver in the second half of the year cars that are uh, on their lots right now awaiting chips. I would just point out five and a half times this year's Earnings, free cash flow. They reaffirmed uh, this year at the midpoint eight billion on a market cap of forty-eight billion with net cash on the balance sheet. If you don't know what to do with those numbers, I will tell you to start with: you don't sell on those numbers. And frankly, I think you should be buying. Okay, Uh, GE, the Linkster, yes, to which you own, obviously. Uh, Stephen Tuza, your favorite analyst, J.P. Morgan on the stock says. For the stock, a headline that is better than feared is an apt assessment of the quarter. It's not perfect, however, as like in Q1, the mix here was as good as it gets. That was good. It was a good quarter. It would be up a lot more if the market wasn't down right now. Is that a fair from him, better than feared? Is that what you think it was, too? I think it was good. Aviation had total revenues up 27%. Orders were up 26%. Margins beat by 300 basis points in that segment alone. And overall, for the company, they grew organic sales at 5%, and they had better free cash flow. So I thought it was pretty good. Power was decent. Renewable still stinks, but that we all know. So I think the stock is, uh, is very attractive here. And I think Culp is doing the right, the, the, a good job, the right job, in splitting up the company. You can be in this thing forever. I might. Okay. Just ask I have good company. Just ask. Why are you laughing? She's not going to be friends with Tusa anytime soon. Not, no. not, you know, one nice comment isn't enough. But, when is the split? When is the company split? Uh, when is the split up, Steph? What? When do they do the split up? Next year. It's not till next year. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, McDonald's, you're no longer in. No. What's your read here, though? Really good. I mean, I was nervous for, the, for this one, right? But 9.7%, as I mentioned before, same-store sales, 6% was what was expected. Every region grew. They're taking market share. drive through delivery, uh, it's really helping them, again, gain market share. I, I like this name. Um, kind of sad that I'm not in it, but we'll see. Maybe the market pulls back and you get an opportunity. Raytheon, you own it. What's your assessment of this? Um, listen, what Stephanie just said about aerospace applies to... To Raytheon. So does defense. We know they make missiles. I'm sorry. We, I hate saying it, but that's true. It's a growth industry. Yeah, um, why, is it, why did their revenue miss then? 
Uh, you know, it happens, all right? Sometimes you can have a co- – it happens, Scott. <laughs> I mean, these are long-term contracts both in the defense and aerospace business. I know, but you paint such a robust scenario for defense spending. I'm saying the revenue miss. Okay, so the analysts had it wrong. I've got to tell you something. That's not a reason to get negative on this stock. Okay. I know it's down 3%, but bear in mind it's up 7% year-to-date. It is year up 7% year-to-date year year better yep. than the S&P by far. Totally get it. All right, good stuff. Final trades are next. <laughs> Overtime tonight, Adam Parker, Joe Terranova, D. Bosa on Alphabet, Steve Kovac on Microsoft, the two Kates, Rooney and Rogers on Visa and Chipotle, the number one chip analyst, Stacey Raskin on Texas Instruments. I hope you'll join me then in overtime. Wow. All right, let's do final trades. Go ahead. You're first. Broadcom. Ah, well, your new buy. Yes, your newest new buy. buy. All right. Uh, JB. Staying long, ECPJ. Okay. Josh Brown, thank you very much. Jim Labenthal, Farmer Jim. NXP Semiconductors. I got sandbagged discussing it last night by Walmart. That's my final trade today. All right, good stuff. I will see all of you in just a few hours for those big earnings. That does it for us. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.